Good afternoon, everybody. It's another Friday, another nice little podcast day. Um, I don't know where you live, but uh, up here in the Northeast, um, the weather's been perfect the last few days. We've got rid of the 95-degree heat and humidity and replaced it with low 80s. A nice little breeze and very low humidity, so it's been a nice uh, respite uh, from from the heat wave we saw last week. So um, I'm gonna get right to the questions. Um, actually, no. So I have some housekeeping stuff first. Um, at some point, I guess Podbean, which is the company, obviously we do the. Uh, podcast with is going to test a interactive type podcast link where there'll be a call-in number or something like that in which um, uh, we may be able to do Q&As on the podcast. Um, I don't know uh, when they're going to do this or uh, whether it's going to be the next month or the next six months. Um, I know that I was sent an email about it and replied that I'd be interested in doing that. So I'm kind of putting it out to you guys. Um, if that is something that would interest you, obviously then we'd have to schedule the podcast for a certain time every week. Um, maybe we could do different times. Maybe always do it on a Friday, but maybe different times of the day on different Fridays. So uh, depending on people's schedules, um, they could participate, uh, whereas they might not normally be able to participate. Uh, just some ideas I'm throwing around. So uh, when the when I put the podcast up, um, post on the blog if you just want me to use the comment section and uh, yay or nay whether or not you'd be interested in a interactive type podcast or even if you just want to um, uh, just send me an email let me know so if it's something that everyone's interested in then I'll obviously pursue it if no one really cares either way then um, I you know I have other things I could focus on right now so uh, but <clears throat> just kind of let me know so uh, questions uh Obviously, regarding the GSEs and the update, uh, if Calabria said it is done, what are he and Mnuchin waiting for, or is Mr. Trump waiting for a political moment? Uh, I don't. I don't have any insight as to what the holdup is. I know that they've worked on the plan. I, based on what I've read, the plan is basically done. They've said, um, and it's just maybe going through some fine tuning or running it around running it through people so um i i don't know what the political moment would be i know the longer they wait and i'm not talking days or weeks i'm talking months or a quarter or two quarters away um chances of something happening right before an election diminish so i still have to think that uh it happens soon and again they did say august maybe september so we're still in july for the next what week week um, and, uh, you know, I'm still assuming that they're going to do it. I mean, it's been the, it's been Calabria's singular focus, it seems, uh, since he walked in office and Mnuchin campaigned on it and Bush has campaigned on it. And even Larry Kudlow, uh, uh, he's the chief, uh, the economics council in the, in the white house. Uh, he, he's even mentioned it in the past about, uh, getting rid of it. So it's, uh, it's it's a big undertaking. There's a lot of moving parts, and I'm sure they're trying to get as much support for it or as much enthusiasm for it in the investment community also. 
so that when it is eventually rolled out, it it goes as smooth as one could possibly expect something like that to go, uh, with as as few um, as few hiccups and bumps and stuff like that. So, um, I see on your I see on the site you keep your portfolio details of purchases and sales. What do you think is the best measure to judge if you are a successful investor? Is your is your portfolio ahead of the S and P index, or do you track that at all? Is that the best measure, or is it more of a hit rate of how often your investment thesis turn out correct? So, I think the generally accepted, um, I think the generally accepted measurement um, of success is, you know, everyone says if you, know, you take a low cost S and P five hundred ETF, and if you can beat that, right? Because if you just that's basically you can buy a share of that, and you're going to basically get the performance of the overall market, um, the performance of the U.S. industry, stuff like that. It's just the, it's the most widely used gauge um, of, uh, of success or failure. So I, I guess that's the one I would use. I mean, I'm guessing maybe if you were a, a small tech bio investor and you know, a small cap bio, and test, bio, oh my God, sorry, a small tech uh, bi, uh, biotech investor, um, then you'd probably use a small tech biotech index. Uh, if you only invested in you know international companies, there's international company indexes. But if you're just your average everyday investor, which is 95% of people out there, I believe, uh, then measuring yourself against the S&P is probably the, the purest way to measure it. So um, is your portfolio have the S&P index? Have you tracked that at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I do track it just because I want to know if all my, you know, I mean, I, I guess basically if you could, throw $10,000 at an S&P index fund and, you know, most of the fees on that are about 1%, even somewhere even lower, I guess now, um, and just do nothing, right? You want to know if your the hard work you're spending is paying off. So yes, I do track it. Um, yes, I'm well ahead of the S&P this year. Um, uh, is, it, is that the best for sure of a hit rate of how the investors are correct? Well, not, not necessarily because... I mean, you can have the right investment thesis and the stock outcome may not be anywhere near what you think, right? I mean, you know, you can think a company is going to turn around and it's going to fix its debt problem. You know, I'm just throwing out a general thesis and sales are going to increase and all that could happen and the stock could barely budge for a variety of reasons. Uh, So you can be right and really not have... um, a huge increase in the stock price and conversely you know I've, I've been wrong on some theses and, and it's worked out well for other reasons you know so I mean it's not always a, a question of you know I mean you can have a thesis and the company's halfway through a turnaround they get bought out and you end up making a lot of money so I mean it's it, it goes both ways um, but uh, yeah I, I would say that you know measuring yourself against the S&P is the way to go do you spend any time looking into the tech sector, tech sector for bargains there has been big sell-offs after earnings such as Netflix. Is that sector you would look into or has it not been beat up enough yet? So, I mean, I guess I would kind of argue we do have some tech stocks. I mean, v, VP, V-Shade, Precision Group is a, I mean, they're, they're I, I guess maybe it depends how you define tech stock or not, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they, they make precision components, uh, maybe for the manufacturing side of tech, but I would still argue they're still a tech stock. Um, it's, 
you know, I, I don't even I don't even know how you would look at Amazon, right? Do you look at Amazon as a tech stock or is Amazon a retailer? What what exactly is Amazon? And you know, if you want to look at Tesla, you know, is Tesla a software company or is Tesla a car company? So there's there's a lot of back and forth and things like that. And I think um, things get too widely. We as human beings have a need to identify and group everything. And I think a lot of times um, things are grouped maybe inappropriately and that causes some confusion as far as what people invest in. But yeah, I mean, we have invested in some tech things in the past. It's, it's, you have to look at them obviously differently than you would a, a normal company and that's some different valuation things come into play. You know, you're, you know, most tech names, you're looking more at cash flow and things like that. And, you know, no, I don't have any shares of, of Netflix. Um, I, you know, I, if I just look at Netflix as a company, there's a tremendous amount of competition coming their way. Um, not only from Disney, but, you know, other, other areas. And, um, you know, I've found myself, I find myself watching Netflix less and less. And I think Netflix, in order to compete, is going to have to spend in incrementally larger sums of money to produce original content. Um, I know they've had some huge hits, but, um, you know, I, if I look at the latest slate of Netflix original releases, you know, there's a couple that are decent, but, you know, by and large, they're were less impressive than they were a couple years ago when most of them are really good. I don't know if maybe that's just a function of numbers, whereas they're, instead of putting out, you know, four or five quality series, they're putting out 20 and hoping to catch a wider audience of different viewing habits and, so maybe it's working for him, but I mean, in the last quarters, subscriber growth was disappointing and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it makes it hard to justify, um, you know, if you're looking at the growth slowing down, it makes it hard to justify their, um, their multiple, what they trade at. You know, Tesla investors are running face first into that right now. Um, you know, or <clears throat> Tesla's to the point now where they're going to be probably more evaluated as an automaker than this startup company. And auto sales have kind of leveled off. Uh, yes, the EV market's growing, but so is the competition. You know, BMW is coming in there, Mercedes, all the high-end cars are coming in there with uh, their own models. And you can argue over, you know, what model you like best, what you don't like. But um, I don't know, I, I, you know, I think Tesla investors are uh, going to be uh, very disappointed over the next year or so. Um, you know, you have basically an evacuation of the executive suite. Uh, people are leaving left and right. The news that the co-founder the other day is leaving. Um, you know, that's, that's tough stuff. That's, um, you know, there's obviously problems there. And, uh, you know, Musk is obviously a highly intelligent person with grand plans, but um, sometimes financial realities uh, run face first into grand plans. And, you know, uh, more often than not, it's financial, financial realities that win. So, you know, they, they bought themselves some time. And um, I haven't gone through the, the numbers yet, but uh, some of the numbers that were put out there really just don't make a whole lot of sense to me right now. Um, so we'll we'll see after going through it what it looks like, but um, yeah, I 
I guess back to the original question, I do look at tech a lot, um, but I think it's, you know, it's, you have, there's a lot, of, there, I guess there's a lot more assumptions and guesswork in investing in some tech names um, than there are in some other names. You know, a pipeline company, we can pretty much predict the future. Um, a bank, financial services, there's a lot less um, ambiguity, you know, uh, if you're investing in Bank of America, which you see Buffett, you know, really up to stake in that recently, um, you know, there's not a new competitor coming down the road for Bank of America, right? They have their, you know, you can see JP Morgan, Bank of America, you know, you have your, your big banks. You're not going to have another big bank come, you know, they're not just going to pop on the scene. This isn't like Netflix where, you know, Disney's going to yank their content off now and do their own thing. You know, that's, that's, that's a big blow for Netflix. Um, that's, you know, that's not going to happen with um, Bank of America. So there's, I guess there's slightly more predictability, um, a lot less guesswork in, in some of those things. And so just for my, you know, my mindset, my investing, the way I invest and how I look at things, it makes it easier for me to do it that way. Um, I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. I'm just saying that, you know, I guess you have to know your own personality and you have to know how you evaluate things. And I think that's part of being a successful investor is, you know, I, I cannot day trade. You know, I was younger. I tried it and I, honestly, I sucked at it. Um, it's just not my personality. It's not my, I don't evaluate things that way. Um, and you have to kind of know who you are and know yourself. And then you can, um, you know, you can, you can go that way with those things. So. Um, can you please comment on why the stock price of IIPR dropped so much recently? The stock offer price is 126 and the current price up to 108. How come is a good time to get in? I have no idea why it dropped so much. I mean, I understand why it dropped because, um, you know, it was at 138, I think, and they did an offering. And that's not unusual for um, stock price to fall when you do an offering. Um, you know, a share count went up probably about 11, 12%, um, stock dropped about the same. So it's, it's, it's all whatever. Um, and then I'm guessing because it ran up so much when the price dropped like that, you probably had a lot of people who were just momentum investors who just kind of wrote it up who said, I made a boatload of money, let's get out. Um, you know, not really sure what's going on or why they, why did the capital raise or whatever. You know, you got to remember a lot of people invest just based on what they see the stock price doing without any real concern about, um, why the stock price is doing what it's doing or what's behind the numbers or what the company's doing. They're just riding numbers and when the numbers go the other way, they get out. So I'm sure there's probably some of that. And, um, you know, with only 10, 11, 11 million shares outstanding and it is not a highly traded stock by any means, um, it doesn't take much for um, the price to drop quickly or raise quickly if there's a bunch of buyers come in. So... The good news is that it's all kind of slowed down. The stock's, stock's been where it's been for the last few days. Um, I wouldn't expect um, huge um, um, stock price swings. Um, and I'm guessing that the next big, you know, the next big change is going to be at earnings. You know, what happens with earnings? Um, you know, I'm assuming that they're going to be very strong. I'm assuming that, you know, we'll end up raising the dividend over last year again. Um, 
and I'm assuming that the stock price will begin its upward march uh, once earnings come out. I mean, the company now has roughly $200 million. Uh, after this last raise, they raised $1.6 million. They had about $50 million left in the reported Q2, so probably take about half of that out for recent investments. So probably one eighty. They're probably around one eighty right now to invest, um, uh, which is the most they've had at one point. Um, their deal pipeline, when they reported Q4, they said they had about uh, $100 million in some states, $100 million worth of investments in some stages of um, negotiation, whether it be, you know, letters of commitment or they've reached out to people or in lease negotiations and stuff like that. Um, not, you know, these weren't deals ready to be closed. They were in some form of the process. Uh, you know, that's, you know, we've seen, I think, 30 million of investments already this year, 30 or 40 million. Um, and, you know, at the end of Q, the Q1, uh, they had 50 million plus now another 100 million in the pipeline. So the pipeline's grown. They've grown the number of deals, so there's no reason for me to expect uh, anything other than a really strong earnings report. So, um, so then I think the stock will go. As far as a good time to get in, I mean, yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I think long term this is going to be significantly higher than it is now. So, I think it's if you know you're looking at a great time to get in. If things drop from 138 to 108, 107, wherever it is now, I think it's I think it's a great time to get in. Um, if you're worried about it going lower. You know, a great strategy to use is to sell puts. Um, you know, for those who don't know what that is, if, you know, there's calls and puts, and a put is a bet the stock price will go down, and a call is a bet that the stock price will go up. Well, if you're the seller of a put, so say the stock's at 108, you could sell a $105 put, and you can, I think, they're probably only monthly in IAPR right now. If the stock goes below 105 and closes there within a month, uh, you can be put the shares, meaning you're forced to buy them at 105. Um, if it goes up from there, then you just collect the premium you received when you sold the option. So, you know, I love using puts to buy stock because it had a it makes me buy at a lower price, and b if I don't buy at a lower price, I collect a little income each month off the the options that I sell. And some stocks like Bank of America, you could do this weekly. Uh, you could do a bi-weekly. You know, they have weekly options all over the place now for some of the more liquid stocks. Uh, IAPR doesn't have weekly options. They're just monthly. You know, you can sell a $100 put. And, you know, if it goes below 100 bucks in a month, then you'll you'll get put it and you'll have to buy it for 100 bucks. But, you know, again, if, if, you're, if your outlook is I'm holding this thing for the next two or three years because I think over that time frame, given the amount of money they have to invest, given what they have invested and what's in their pipeline, that results are going to be significantly higher than they are now, then, you know, buying something at a hundred bucks, uh, you think going to be worth much more than that is, is good. And, and like I said before, if its stock just goes up from there, then you just collect the premium each month. And now you're making a little extra money, a little extra income coming in. Um, do you have any update on, on bank review of Fannie Mae, F Freddie Mac? Uh, nothing that anyone else doesn't have. Um, I know that the government and them are going back and forth now. <clears throat> uh, I think the government's just trying to delay a decision until they can get their plan out and hopefully assuade uh, preferred shareholders to go along with it based on the conversion of you know their, their stock at par. Um, I think that's what they're trying to do uh, with the you know the 
they were not contending FHFA was unconstitutionally structured. Uh, they were not contesting that decision, and now they are. And now they need to have, obviously, hearings about it. And then they obviously need to file new briefs on it, blah, 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 blah. So I think it's just a delay tactic. Whether or not they're allowed to use that by the court, I, I don't know. So we'll have to see. Um, how do you normally allocate cash bond stocks in your portfolio? I don't have any set rules at all. Um, and the reality is I don't hold uh, many bonds at all. Um, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I guess <clears throat> I look at my holdings of Williams and Kinder Morgan as a bond that's paying me 5% and uh, has significant upside to the money I'll make off it. So, um, yeah, that's, that's just reality. And there's no set, you know, there's no set rule on that. Um, do, you, do you think the book Security Analysis is still relevant today? Have you ever read through the whole book? Uh, yes and yes. Um, I think it's still relevant. If for no other reason, go, it helps you go through the analytical process. You know, I mean, you know, obviously things like price to book value um, are much different now than they were when it was written what, 80 years ago, 60 years ago, something like that. Um, they're much different, obviously, now. Uh, you know, it's much easier to do the book value of, of companies back then. Now you have so much intellectual intellectual property and the valuation of software and stuff like that. It's just, it's not the same landscape as it used to be. Um, obviously, you know, even instruments like bonds are much more complicated than they were, you know, 80 years ago. So, you know, but it still doesn't mean the um, exercise of understanding how to value stuff like that and how it equates to the growth price in stocks over time is is meaningless so um yeah i I would read it and if nothing else it you know it's not the book's just not simply about hey here's how you find price to book value here's how you find price to earnings ratio the book's more about mentally becoming a value investor and you know why buying cheap stocks uh, is good and you know it's not, you know, and, and I guess part of my problem with what well, a lot of people think about value investing is I think we just run screens for low PE stocks and, and blindly go buy them. And that's not how it is. I mean, you can make the argument that, <clears throat> you know, everyone is a value investor. Even, even if you're buying, even if you were buying Netflix two years ago, you know, you could say that I'm buying it because based on this current valuation, and based on what I think is going to happen with the stock and subscriber growth and they're going to raise rates on people and make more money, that it's going to be worth much more. That's, that's a value premise, right? It doesn't, doesn't have to be, you know, this, you know, oh, it has a price to book of less than one and a PE of under 10. So that's the only thing that qualifies as a value stock. Um, you know, it's a sum of the parts. Look at Amazon. You know, some people are saying Amazon is a value stock because they're basically a retailer, so you can value them as a retailer. And they have this fast-growing AWS division that's growing 30 40% year over year. And, and that's some of the parts. And that's really no different than if you're buying Walmart, who's a retailer, who has this really fast-growing online division, or Walmart has another division in there that they, they sell things to that's growing really fast. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's all how you look at it. So, but I do think that it is relevant and um, <clears throat> and I and I do you know there are times where I go back through and and will you know read a chapter or go through a chapter here and it's just as a refresher like anything else you do so 
Um, how did do you train yourself to become a great investor like you? Well, I don't, I don't know about great, but um, I mean, I just you just read a lot, and you, and like I said before, you just you have to. I think you kind of have to figure yourself out first, and you have because investing is, you know, you don't need to be a genius to be a good investor. It's more about a mindset and a personality than it is about having seven MBAs because at the end of the day we all have calculators <clears throat> and we can all do the same math on a calculator or an Excel spreadsheet and all the same numbers still come up right I mean one plus one is two whether you have a high school education or whether you have a doctorate in mechanical engineering from Harvard it's still the same thing right? it's, it's, so it's not whether you're great with numbers or things like that it's, it's more about temperament and you know not lying to yourself about an investment, you know, being being as an upfront with this and finding an investment style that fits your personality. You can't stick a square peg in a round hole. And when I tried day trading and I tried different types of um, investing or trading when I was much, much younger, I quickly realized I was just not good at it. And I then I, you know, I came across um, Phil Fisher's book. Then I came across security analysis and stuff on Buffett. I'm like, this is what makes sense to me, you know. You know, trading in and out of stuff day of day, it just doesn't make any sense. It's looking at these and buying a piece of a business is what I'm doing when I buy stock. No different than if I bought part of a a liquor store or a gas station or a hotel in town. Um, I'm still looking at the same metrics and I'm still looking at the same long term outcomes. And you know, if if someone came to me every day and offered me a different price for my share of my gas station, would I be selling in and out of that every day? And I wouldn't be doing that because I know the long-term value of it is much higher. Then why am I doing that with these little pieces of paper? Just because it made it easy for me and I can do it online, um, does that mean I should be doing it? So, and I came to the conclusion that it wasn't for me and I found this style that, that works best for me and I stick with it and I try and mentally not play games with myself when it comes to it and be as realistic as possible about it. And, you know, sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong, but, you know, if as long as you're right a couple more times than you're wrong, you're going to do just fine, so. Um, Calabria, in an interview, said if Fannie is recapitalized and the preferred holders may go to par or converted to common, the lawsuits would largely go away. However, I doubt the Washington Federal would go away because it isn't about the 2008 and Commons getting screwed. So how do they recapitalize on selling the Washington Federal case? And if the government does settle this case, would it mean the Commons get protected in some way? It would mean the Commons get protected in some way, don't you think? Okay, um, so a couple pieces to this. So the Washington Federal lawsuit is the only lawsuit, the only one that I'm aware of, that is actually challenging the placing of the GSEs in the conservatorship themselves. Uh, while the other lawsuits um, say that they didn't need to be in conservatorship, they're not challenging conservatorship, but the challenging is the network sweep, which is the sweeping of the um, all the profits each quarter, blah, 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 blah. Um, so the question is if the plan comes out and preferred shareholders are going to get converted at par, and that's going to be sort of this <clears throat> olive branch to drop the lawsuits, okay? Which 
I can't imagine would not happen, right? If if they came out and said, you know, in, in, in exchange for dropping the lawsuits, we're going to convert preferred shareholders apart. I'm relatively certain that um, the <clears throat> the preferred shareholder losses would go away. I mean, a, a certain 100% outcome, right, for over 100% from what most of them are now anyway, um, 110, 115% outcome um, now versus the continued expense of a protracted legal battle and the indefinite outcome. I mean, while... Yes, things are beginning to go our way in court. There is still no definitive outcome, right? You still don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you could get a partial win in court. You could lose. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen in court. So, you know, being said, you know, being told you're going to get 115 percent for where you are right now. Um, if you drop the lawsuits, they're going to drop the lawsuits. Um, now, the Washington federal case is about the conservatorship itself, and I, I don't think that that case is a winner. Um, <clears throat> they've kind of amended the complaint over the years to include the net worth sweep. Um, so it's kind of a hodgepodge lawsuit, and I don't think that lawsuit being out there question the conservatorship would be a reason not to continue to go forward with the plan. The reason they have to settle the preferred shareholder lawsuits to go forward with the plan is because they need to know what they're doing with those preferred shares, right? And you can't you know, you can't make money, you can't raise money with that overhang. So they need to clear that overhang. They don't need to clear this Washington federal lawsuit. So, um, if the government does sell this case, it would mean the commerce can protect it in some ways, don't you think? I mean, yeah. So, if, I mean, Calabria has already he's already pretty much come out and said that the commons, the common shareholder, the common stock is going to continue to trade, right? And they kind of. They kind of have to, right? Because the very people who own this stock, the common stock, are the very people you're going to go out and try and raise money from. So if you wipe them out, you know, they're not going to, when you go back to them, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, let's, let's invest some more or let's, let's buy a rights offering or however they decide to do it. Um, you're not going to get the cooperation you want by letting continue to trade Letting it stay out there, you increase the odds of those people then participating in whatever kind of capital raise you're going to do. So, I think in a way, you know, it already they already are kind of protected by what Calabria said, and you know, I think just common sense sort of says that, you know, they have to protect them. I mean, everyone's, you know, Gasparino's out there, and a lot of people are out there, you know, questioning whether or not they can ever do it. Um, raise $100 billion in an IPO. Um, you know, I I think they can. <clears throat> I think they've spoken to people that they can. I haven't spoken to anybody um, on Wall Street that um, thinks it's a completely lunatic idea to do that. Um, you know, so 
I uh, I think they can do it. Now, whether they do, you know, both at once or one at a time, I mean, there's, there's different ways to slice it. So, um, you know, I, I think it happens eventually. I think, you know, I think the people you have out there who don't think it can be done are people who just kind of are looking at headlines and making decisions, not really... Um, not really diving into it and not really, you know, it's kind of like <clears throat> the old GGP thing when people were saying, you know, uh, it's in bankruptcy, the stock's going to zero, you're an idiot for investing in it. You know, they, these people were just, they weren't actually looking at what was going on. They were just basically making a snap decision based on some headlines and reading one or two paragraphs of an article. Um, and they missed out on the investment of a lifetime. So, you know, I, you know, it's probably about time for another Bloomberg article where they try and throw cold water on the whole thing. It seems as though um, we get one about every week, week and a half. Although there really hasn't been much news on it, so but we'll see. But I'm sure that, you know, as, you know, rumors of what the plan might be start to leak out, I'm sure they'll start leaking out before the actual plan comes out. Uh, you know, I'm sure you'll get the usual articles that'll come out, the usual people, the usual cast of characters will come out and trash it and say it's not going to happen, can't going to happen, but, um, you know, I, I think it can. I, you know, I, interestingly enough, when you do see the articles or you do hear the news commentators questioning the ability of the GSEs to raise that money, um, you seldom get quotes from investment people saying they can't, you know, I mean, I, I haven't seen any, and I, I mean, I may have missed them, but no one on Wall Street and no one in a position of authority, you know, you haven't seen anybody at, you know, J.P. Morgan who had that secret, well, quote unquote, secret meeting. Uh, you haven't seen anyone there, anyone at Moelis or anyone at the big investment bank saying they can't do it, right? N no one has said that. It's it's a journalist who says that, you know, they can't raise that kind of money. It'd be the biggest IPO ever, so they can't raise it. Well, you know, how about the people who are actually going to go out there and do it? You know, they're not being quoted as saying it can't be done. You know, it's it's going to be a task. Um, but, you know, no one is saying that it's an impossibility. So um, I think it'll get done eventually. So um, let me see. I think that might actually be it for the questions. Let me just go through my, my email real quick here just to make sure in case somebody sent one in late. I don't want to... Um, Yep. All right. So yeah, that's it for um, that's it for the questions, and that's it for that. So um, please, if you can, leave a comment or an email about the um, if the interactive. I don't know how it's going to work. The interactive podcast. Uh, I don't know if it's only one person that can call in, or if it's multiple call in numbers. Or I have no idea how it works. Uh, they really were kind of just vague on the details. I just kind of asked if it was something you'd be interested in. So I, of course, said yes because if it's something you guys want and it's something we can pull off, then we can absolutely do it. Um, you know, anything to anything to make this more valuable. So um, I think that's about it. So I hope everyone has a fantastically happy and safe and fun weekend. And, um, you know, we got some earnings coming out next week. So it's, we're kind of in that boring period right now where – Nothing's really happening or being announced unless your company is reporting earnings. So, you know, we got solid earnings for Bank of America. Kinder Morgan had solid earnings. So, 
um, we're just going to wait for the rest of them now and and uh, hopefully that goes good and we have some fun things to talk about next week so have a great weekend everybody Thank you.